Hello, I'm Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I am joined, as ever, by my friend Imogen Edwards-Jones. Coming up on today's show, beauty expert Hannah Betts is going to talk to us about eyebrows, very important. We'll be joined by award-winning poetry anthologist Ali Aziri. We'll be talking about parental burnout and... We'll be discussing the terrifying spate of spikings reported in university towns this week, and we will be joined for that by my own daughter. But first, Imogen, um, it's nice to see you. You have been to Venice, which I is have. rude. I have. I mean, yes. always on holiday. I mean, I'm... it's just the non-stop <laughs> fun in your life. I think I had a nice week. I think you've had a terrible week. Dreadful, awful. Yes. I mean, I mean, it's pretty. There are lots of bad weeks, and this has been a very bad week. Very bad week in politics. Very sad. Um, very sad. The death of. David Amos last week and then also this week Owen Patterson talking about his lovely wife Rose who killed herself last year mm. sort of the same problem really yes yes um, uh, people just bashing MPs and so anyway I wrote a column about it I know which was a very good column in yesterday's uh, mail um, I, I, what I found particularly interesting about reading your column was because because I've known you for mm. a thousand and one years mm. the amount of times that I've seen these situations happen to you I mean I've been with you and you've come back on holiday and we, your whole house has been egged mm. which which has been incredibly depressing. And we've also been to various uh, events together. And I've always said to you, you're a couple of glasses of wine away from a jabbing. Mm. Basically, people get emboldened by wine and suddenly think they can have Mm. their say. I think it's a very difficult situation. You know, I know your children very well. I think it must be very hard for all of them as well. Mm. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's it's like as I said this in the column. It's sort of when it starts, you you sort of think you can cope with it. It's mm. like everything in life, you know, you, you have your limits, and so it sort of starts off, and and you think, oh well, that's you know that wasn't great, but that's fine. And then it just after a while, it does just it just gets to you. It's it's you start to sort of believe all the stuff that people say about yeah. you. Um, I mean, I remember we were in New York one year and some mad woman, she was a teacher actually, uh, shouted something rude, very unpleasant to Michael. And mm. I turned, I don't know, I just, I turned around and I said, what did you just, and then we were with the kids and the kids were small. Mm. And I mean, the things that she said were just unconscionable. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I said, you know, you can't say those in front of the children. And she said, people like you shouldn't be allowed to have children, you know. Um, my daughter's with us, by the way, and she'd like to say something. I just think it's funny, because I remember that very vividly. Yeah. And it, I was th- so upset. I was so angry, because a teacher, I was like, what, 13? A teacher, yeah. like a, a, someone that's meant to be looking after kids, yeah. teaching them, sort of giving them the primary education that they need, mm. had the cheek to tell parents that they shouldn't have children in front of the children mm. that they have had. That's basically like yeah. wishing non-existence on a small child, mm. which, it, I, I don't know, I was just very shocked by that. I mean, I understand that my my dad's not, not a lot of people agree with him, but that he, he's not a, a murderous sort of villain. He's just mm. a politician that not many people like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I just don't think anything can prepare you for it. Mm. And I think the problem is... Oh, it's just so hard to explain. No, but it's, but, but it's, but it's all of the crimes of the father being mm. being foisted upon the children, yes. and the wife is not is not helpful. And also in the in the case of Sir David Amos, you know, 
it ends yeah. your life. It does. And that means that yeah, you know, pe- people you... are going to think not once, not twice, but, but you know, yeah. five or six times before they actually think, okay, I'm going to take public office. Because if public office is such an untenable yeah. situation that the repercussions are so huge, yeah. then people will not want to yeah. do it. I, I think social media, I mean, I, I do think social media is a huge factor because... Um, when Michael first started in politics in 2005, it wasn't uh, on this level. And mm. I think the problem with social media is everybody, as you said earlier, you know, three glasses of wine. Everyone's always had three glasses of wine, but it's <laughs> like it's like they've always they've all had three, and they and they feel they can say things that mm. they would not would not otherwise yeah. say. And then and then, but what's happening is it's it's sort of like everything to do with the internet is it trickles down into real life. Yeah. And and so whereas whereas you know, ten years ago. You know, you wouldn't have said half of the things that you see on online now. People will say those to your face. Yes. It's just really weird. I, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, I just think there's a massive amount of desensitization to exactly. these sort of things. Yeah. Like, I, I genuinely do think it's a massive, massive issue, and I'm part of the social media generation. Mm. Like, I enjoy all these things. Mm. They are the fruits of my generation, but I hate them. Mm. And and the thing about David Amos, like, it's like anyone in the public eye mm. who puts himself into the public eye or gets put in the public eye suddenly is not a human anymore. Mm. Suddenly is just a a a thing or like even like pe- even like singers, actors, like mm. your property. Yeah, you're yeah. just your property of the of the world of social media. Mm. Mm. I'm the listener. You are my property, and I can say what I want to you. I can do what I want to you because you're not real. You're just there for me for mm. my entertainment, mm. which I think is one of the reasons why social media has sort of spawned and trickled out into this very dangerous mm. sort of real life issue. Mm. Yes, I mean I basically it's I, I over the years it's just worn me down. Yeah, it's like being flayed alive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm just I'm just a bit worn down. Mm. I mean luckily Beatrice is all fresh and new. <laughs> <laughs> Home Secretary Priti Patel has asked police forces for an update following a number of women reporting being spiked by needles in nightclubs. More than 100,000 people have signed a petition calling for compulsory searches at nightclubs, although as yet police forces are still trying to establish how common such attacks are. So this is an odd one, Imogen, because mm. I was sitting on the sofa the other night and Beatrice, out of the blue, before this story even came out, said, my friend at university was spiked by a needle. Really? Yes. And so here she is. So B is 18. She's having a gap year, mm. a gap year. Gap year. And... Um, but lots of her mates have already gone to university and one of them's at Manchester. So tell me mm. what's happened to her. Well, she was just at Prism in Manchester and then, doesn't remember it happening, got injected by a needle in her lower back. Oh. And she didn't even notice it happening. It must have been a very, very fine needle. And sort of an hour later, she started feeling very sort of like woozy and sort of like... An hour later? An hour later. Well, an hour later, it reached its peak. Right. She just thought she was getting very drunk because when mm. you're clubbing, it's it's, it's you, you are already quite drunk, mm. so you yeah. don't really notice it as a mm. direct change. And she doesn't know what she was spiked with. She went home, fell asleep, woke up the next morning feeling absolutely awful. Doesn't remember any of it. All anyone else says was she was just completely out of it to the point where like she could. She could not walk. She could not function. She was slurring her words. Yeah, that sounds like a spiking, doesn't but, it? See, I want to. Know, I'm wondering how much of this is. Teenage girls being a bit hysterical. Am I allowed to say that? I think you're allowed to say that. 
I, it didn't happen to me, so I no. can't say. How, how did she know that she had an injection? Was there an injection mark mm, in the base of her spine? There was a sort of like a, a small injection mark and then a circular bruise around it. Right, okay. Okay, well, that, that would be, yeah, because yeah. often you bruise yeah. with injections, don't you? Yes. yes. But it was yeah. like quite a big bruise. Yeah. So I mean, I guess it's just what so happened I don't me. understand what the end game is, though, of all of this. Is is what, they're, they're incapacitated and then they, they're they're taken off. Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, and then it's sort of like a date rape thing. Right. Like most, most of that time, Spike, happens it's with rehypnol or ghd or mm. like ketamine just general muscle relaxers but why are they doing injections oh okay because um loads of clubs and like people just girls in general have got wise to the well not just got wise but there are these pills you can put in your drink which test if your drink is spiked they change color oh, okay, these cups yes. that change color oh, these really? cup lids mm. like there's been loads of stuff that's that have been invented so women don't get spiked mm. and it was happening a lot less recently like now it seems like everyone's sort of gotten smart to it and understands how to stop it from happening mm. and the clubs are a lot more tight on those kind of things. Mm. But I, what I just can't understand is why Prism and Rock City and any of these other clubs across England aren't doing anything about it. Like they, Well, they probably only just worked out that it's happening. Mm. True. But so they, what are they supposed to do? Go through everyone's bags? I mean, they go through those ba- your bags anyway, don't they? Not to the degree they should. No, like really. the amount of times that... Like whenever I go into a club, like a very one of the like quote unquote high high security clubs, they just kind of like pat you down gently and like open your bag and then close it without even looking at it. Right. Yeah. Mm. It's very worrying and um, sounds really yeah, bizarre. I think I think that uh, the, obviously they do need to take it seriously. Of course. So I'm joined now by Michael Kill, who is CEO of the Nighttime Industries Association. So Michael, we've just been talking about this spate of um, jabbings. So, I mean, do the clubs and bars, do they have sort of protocols? Do they ha- is there something that, you know, if you think you've been spiked, can you go and, and tell a person? Is there some sort of spike line or is something? Is there a spike line? Or, yes, exactly. Um, we, 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 what tends to happen, is, and, and the difficult part about this, is sometimes people are so unaware that, um, you know, they'll wake up in the morning and then realise that something happened and then go to the police. I think right. the important thing is... is alongside that is that they make the venue aware if, if it's something that hasn't picked mm. up. But one of the key things that we're working on is a centralised campaign um, and there is a collective of us coming together to work to make sure that there is a communication strategy in, mm. in support because I think the key thing here is, you know, we need to safeguard and look after the people mm. that are, you know, victims within uh, the the with these crimes, but also make sure that we've got robust protocols to see if we can gather the evidence and get to a point in terms of things like CCTV, mm. um, uh, entrance and access, you know, search policies, all of these sort of mm. things which are vital for us understanding and refining what we're doing, yeah. but also getting a conviction, but more importantly, safeguarding and looking after that person mm. that, that has fallen foul. I just don't understand why anybody crime. would want to do something like that. It's just so weird. I mean, what? this is my daughter. Course, she wanted sorry. to ask. My daughter wanted to ask a question. Is that all right? Please. I was just wondering: is, is there anything that clubs or in the industry in general could implement in order to sort of conduct just better searches that could possibly detect these things? Sort of. I noticed we're rather talking about sort of like aftercare and investigations, mm. but is there anything that we can do to actually prevent these things from happening? 
Well, the, the challenges that we have, and, and if someone is intent on committing a crime, you know, whether we talk about taking drugs into a premises or, you know, a, a needle or, or something like that, we, we have limits in terms of what we can do in terms of searching. Um, we can only go so far. We don't have the powers of the police. Um, we can do things like metal detecting. The one thing that is very prominent for us is if people refuse to be searched, then they're not admitted. In general, that tends to be a, mm. a, a position that people undertake. But, you know, we, you know, we're pretty robust. There's quite a lot of work out there that goes to, you know, how to properly pat down and search. But, you know, as, as we sort of highlight, that we are, we have got a level that we can go to. If someone wants to put it into their underwear, mm. um, it's very, very difficult to detect. And, and that, you know, everything that we have to do searching-wise is, is with permission. So we have to ask if they are happy to be searched before they are searched. And then we try to understand how people react to whether we feel that they are the right person to come into a premises. So it, it's extremely difficult. It, it's not a fail-safe position, but I think there is a culmination of actions that need to be undertaken with a greater understanding of the, the crime that's taking place, how it's administered, etc. But, you know, I, I without a doubt, I'm going to make it my sole purpose to ensure that we safeguard as as stringently as possible, and, and that's about disseminating information as well as making sure people are aware of, of you know, the issues out there. Well, thank you very much, uh, Michael. That's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. I think they should have women-only nightclubs. They're more fun anyway. I w yes. You know, we don't have But then you put your handbag on the floor. Well, we can have a special handbag stand. Yes. Because actually, I mean... my what you really want to do anyway. My clubbing days are obviously over, but I never went to a nightclub to attract a man. I only ever went to dance. I mean, that's where you go. And actually, men are annoying and they kind of get in the way. They make it stressful and they're like... There's nothing worse than the rubbing on your back. Oh, go away. They sort of like drool. A lot uh, and sort away. of like snot. Yeah. I think I, what would be great is an all women's club where they only serve rose and tequila. Mm. <laughs> yes. Let's do that, Imogen. Let's, let's start yes. a, a, an all women's club. Great idea. Yes, we just call it rose and tequila. <laughs> <laughs> we must have some good snacks as well. They'd be awful. We'd probably get some sort of man protest outside. Sort of only low calorie cocktails. Yes. <laughs> And peanuts, <laughs> done. <laughs> and we can have a, we can have like a blow dry bar. Mm. We can oh have like a, a hair straightener. No, you, you can have. Oh my god, we can have a little tattoo salon. In, in no, 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 now no, you, you now always you've jumped the have shark. to take it too far, don't <laughs> I didn't you? Take it too far. You guys took it. You've jumped the shark. You are listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. And if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at mailplus, me at Westminster Wag, or Imogen at Imogen EJ. And she loves being tweeted at. I do. She I love does. it. I love it. Over 80% of parents admit to struggling with at least one of the warning signs that may indicate parental burnout due to the pandemic. Parental burnout is identified as a prolonged response to chronic and overwhelming parental stress. I think we both recognise that. In Absolutely, do we not? yes, I really do, yeah. Most common red flags are uh, anxiety, mm. uh, 46%, disruption to sleep, 34%, mm -hmm. feeling isolated, 33%, Check. De depression, 32%, overwhelming exhaustion, Check. 27%, and drowning in wine. No, I just made that one up. 90%. 90%. <laughs> anyway, Action for Children is calling on the government to urgently increase the support available for parents and carers before problems escalate in homes or schools. And we're going to talk to Joe Thurston, who is an advisor for Parent Talk. Hi, Joe. Hi, Sarah. Hi. 
Um, we recognise. <laughs> I mean, lockdown has been jolly hard for parents mm. of all of children of all ages. Uh, we've got teenagers, obviously, because we're old. Mm. Um, well, I've got a little one actually, but yeah, it's been incredibly hard, hasn't it, for everybody? It really, really has, and we've we've really seen that on Parent Talk service as well. Yes. What does Parent Talk do? So we are a, a one-to-one chat service for parents with um, trained support workers who can right. actually um, act with a parent with whatever they're going through yes. um, on a day-to-day basis. What are you seeing most of? Um, the, the biggest themes we've had in chats um, have been around mental health for parents and children, mm-hmm. um, education concerns, SEND concerns and child development and how that's been impacted by the pandemic. But, but mental health has probably been the biggest and what sort of age group, you know, parents of what age group children are struggling the most? Is it little ones or? Uh, it, it, it varies between. I mean, really, we're seeing um, that parents of children of all ages are mm. be- feeling hard by this. The parents of preschool children are, are more worried around the developmental concerns sure. and the delays that are, um, are happening as, a, as an impact of the pandemic. Um, the older the children are, the more they're impacted by um, education concerns mm. and mental health concerns and, mm. and those sort of concerns are stopping those children from being accessed, uh, being able to access their education even though schools are now open again. Mm. Yes. Is, is it working parents who are ringing you yeah. more than stay-at-home parents? Is there, is there a difference between the two? It's it's really been a combination of, of um, all parents, to be honest. Um, I know that, I mean, we spoke to a lot of parents who were struggling during the pandemic with um, working from home and having children at home with them and having to balance that homeschooling mm. element, look after children's well-being and mental health and, and obviously be working as well. But actually, since then, it's been a, it's a complete mixture, really. So it's, uh, I mean, it's a huge number, isn't it? 82% of parents who have actually um, been demonstrating at least on one of those those um, parental burnout indicators mm. that is the majority of parents really regardless of their yeah, I mean the thing is, is as a society we're not really geared up to have the kids at home all the time and mm. most of us have jobs and mm. so we rely on them being at school in order to be able to do and I think combining all those things has just been the hardest part I mean you can't work with small children because they require constant supervision and um, what's the, what's the sort of solution i mean I, I mean there's some sort of vague talk of another lockdown oh, no, in which i'm not no. i mean i just what what what, are, what do you advise parents to do i mean on the whole what's what's the best what are the mechanism uh, you know, what are the tools that they can use to try and make their lives easier um, so we we do advise parents to try and reach out and, and talk, look at their support network. I mean, obviously, they can come through to us on mm. um, parent-talk.org.uk and have a one-to-one chat with one of our mm. um, advisors. We've got an awful lot of information on our website as well, which is really helpful for, mm. for parents regardless of what their situation is. Um, reach out to your support network. Have a look at, at the resources that you have around you. Mm. Set some real boundaries on what you can and can't manage. Mm. Um, and it either just understand it's okay to say no and and that these feelings are real and and we need to sort of sit up and take notice i think i think think you feel very guilty about it don't you i mean i know when i've been at the end of my tether with my children Mm. you feel awful because you you're supposed they're supposed to be the greatest joy of your life and sometimes (laughs) you just want to lock them in the downstairs loo and (laughs) i absolutely agree and i think that's why we i mean we're calling upon the government to to invest more into services like us and family hubs as well but particularly these digital services where people so that parents can actually access even if the face-to-face services aren't accessible there should always be somewhere that that people can go for help and support maybe you need Uh, a squad of mobile nannies 
<laughs> sort of emergency nanny that you, you yes. can dial nanny 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 yeah. and then someone or like the child catcher yes. he would be good <laughs> thank you very much joe um well let's hope it doesn't come to that and yep. um if parents are feeling that they've got parental burnout they can go to parent talk oh, what's the website joe it's parent-talk.org.uk brilliant thanks very much that was joe thurston advisor to parent talk I do think the child catcher would be a good plan. Yes, well, we don't, we don't, we know, we're not talking about that in a minute. I think, I think you need to put that plan away. Just, just at the end of the road with some sweets. <laughs> we're joined now by award-winning poetry anthologist and my friend and Imogen's mm. Ali Aziri, yes. who this month has released another fantastic poetry collection. It's called A Poet for Every Day of the Year. Hello, Ali. Hello. So, Ali, I just want you to know, listeners, that Ali has single-handedly made poetry cool. She certainly has. Which is actually quite a tall order. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a bit like, you know... How how many books have you sold now? Because this is... So many. I'm just going to hold my breath through jealousy. Go. Um, Well, I had a meeting yesterday at Mm. Macmillan. 300,000. Wow. It's just rude. Oh, my God. It's you could pile rude. them to the moon and back. <laughs> and that's, that's poems. That's not, you know, 300, 50 shades 000. of grey. It's poems. I've got goose pimples. That's yeah. amazing. Aww, that's a huge thanks. achievement. Well done. So what? tell me about this one, Annie. So a poet for every day of the year. Yep, it has another really beautiful cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and in it, you will find a poem for every day of the year. It's sort of what it says on the tin, really. Mm. And there's poets that you would have... Might have heard of A.A. Milne, Spike Milligan, Pamez, Shelley, Keats, Shakespeare, and then some that you might not have done because there's room for 366. Mm. So yes. I could have a more so all the other poetry. So the other books were poems for days yeah. of the year or and or for other purposes. Shakespeare, such she's as done. love. You did Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. But this one's quite interesting because you're actually expanding the sort of range. The oeuvre. Are they like little mini biographies? Yeah, and on each day you get a little introduction. That's what's lovely about it, actually. So you do actually learn a bit about the poet. But I mean, how do you choose them? There must be that must be the most daunting thing. Sitting there thinking, okay, I've got 365. So obviously you need some big hitters in there because people are hoping to see their favourites at some point. Yeah. But then I presume you have to open the net a bit. Yeah, I think you definitely want favourites. People want to look up and find, you know, I'm wandered lonely as a cloud. Mm. Um, And they should be there. But then there was a lot of room. So I managed to go across the world more. Like, Mm. who is the greatest poet that every Russian child listens to? Mm. Or in America. Oh, who is that, by the way? Have the Yesenin. What, oh, the Pushkin's in, the Yesenin, right. and there's a few Russians. Who's right. Yesenin? I don't know anything and, about And every Yesenin. school child would... Do you? Um, yes. I don't know which oh, one you've got. Oh, you know you're Russian. Russian. Yes, I yeah. do, yeah. The yeah. birch tree, and oh, every Russian child would have that by heart. Oh. And it's really beautiful, um, wintry poem. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's quite fun. Do people just invariably just look at their out. birthdays to start off with? I love that people use it as a birthday <laughs> What's on your birthday? What's on my birthday? What's on my birthday? April the 16th. Exactly. Because I'm so self-obsessed, it has to be about me. Like you've got a really nice um, poem. It's called April by Edwin Arnold. Oh, who's and Edwin he Arnold? He was, well, I'll read you the little blurb. Yes, please. He was born in Gravesend in Kent, but spent much of his life in India, where he worked as a schoolmaster. During this period, he became immersed in Eastern religion, philosophy and literature. And I sort of go on to go, he translated the Bhagavad Gita... And then oh he gosh. came back and he pursued journalism, like you, Sarah, oh. <laughs> rather than poetry, and he became the editor of the Daily Telegraph. No. Oh, that's what it yeah. is. How extraordinary. <laughs> and it's really lovely, and it just begins, Blossom of the almond trees, 
April's gift to April's bees. Oh. Birthday ornament of spring. It's <laughs> perfect for you. It's really perfect. So my husband has this book and he every morning when he goes to the lab, not that you want to hear this, that's I do. he reads a poem. <laughs> Really? Yes. Very edifying. Yes, that's what he does every morning. Because really I, I bought it for him for as a present. It's a, lovely it's a good way to start the day. I've heard people read it suggestion. at night yeah. and they're reading it to each other. I've yeah. heard some people do it on the school run and mm. they read or listen to one or at breakfast. Or, and I think that poems can either help you escape from your emotion or they can loosen your emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And so they sometimes will make you cry like any good piece of art, a film, a book mm. or a song. But sometimes why it's did also you good why escape. did you start with poetry? What 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 why did you decide to do this, Ali? Well, I loved this poetry book when I was a child. Right. It was almost the only thing that I read night after night. And then I thought, oh, maybe other people would like it too, but it's just not that available. Mm. And in the bookshop you can often, you know, not find it. It's just right at the back. Yeah. In the dark. Mm. I'm really pleased these books have sort of crept forward and yes. got onto tables and I thank all bookshops for that because they've helped champion that I haven't sold these books. Mm. You know, booksellers have sold these books. So, uh, so what William Seacott said uh, about you was that you were one of the real champions of poetry that have managed to sort of demystify poetry mm. and sort of because often it's like like the lovely boy we had the other day doing classical music. Mm. Sometimes people get, Oh, poetry's not for me. No. I can't oh no, no thanks. And they'll they'll know about two or three poems mm. and that that'll be that. Uh, yeah, I think also poetry sometimes is very diff so, I mean some people find poetry very difficult to actually. read, yes. And also it's taught very badly in schools. Mm. And it's also it's sort of taught as a sort of kind of torture sometimes. Mm. You have to learn these lines. Mm. You have to remember this poem. Him. And actually, it's it can put really put people off. Mm. I, I mean, I was very put off by that, by having to learn stuff. I have a terrible memory and I can't learn anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's in secondary school. I think in primary school, people love that's nursery true. rhymes yeah. yes. and you're Spike right, Milligan yeah. and A.A. Mm. Milne. Mm. And then there's suddenly a jump and you're maybe given some quite complicated poem to analyse. Yes, do exactly. Some ghastly comprehension. And I've just removed all of that and just go, no, this is just a wonderful mm. poem. It may make you laugh. It may make you cry. It may be a poem that you want to send to a friend because it's so brilliant on a particular emotion and I've just really tried to remove anything complicated but you've it. also uh, managed to corner the market in a dashingly handsome actors and beautiful actresses yes. reading them out loud um, which we all forget that poetry is sort of part performance as well isn't it most of the time they're, they're mm. made to be read out loud and uh, so you've got some amazing you've done some amazing uh, workshops events, yeah. and events yeah. yes it's helped hugely so actors have read on apps I've done and the audio books of a poem for every day of the yeah. year and this one a poem for every day of the year and again, it's just really helped demystify, and it will also help bring another audience. So they might think amazing I want to how... hear Tom Hiddleston read a poem, yeah. mm. and then people think, "Oh, I like this yeah. poem. Yes. Oh, I'll go and buy a book or read some more." But it's amazing how it brings poetry to life to have an actor read it. Because I was re-listening to the Damien Lewis and, and and his late wife Helen did one for you, didn't they? Mm -hmm. And it was it was really it's just been sort of unearthed, and it was. You can listen to it. Where can I find it? On Spotify. Yeah, it's on all can, podcasts. Listeners, listeners yeah. can find it. Yeah. And I thought it was really, it just does bring poetry to life in a way that perhaps when I read it in a slightly But it was also like a flirty way. joust. It was very, yeah. How, yeah. My favourite is Helena Bonham Carter. She does read a mischievous poem very, very, very well. Yeah, she's read lots of poems from me and she reads on the audiobook of a yeah. poem for every day of the year. Poetry was always an oral tradition. You know, many people couldn't read. The mm. minstrel would turn up to the town square and do a poem in the same yeah. way that they do a song. And so I, you know, I believe it really should be read. And a bit like going to a Shakespeare that you sort of looked on the page, you look at it on the page and you can't, 
you know, you really struggle to comprehend. But then you go and see the show and the actors have done the work of mm. bringing it alive. And similarly mm. with the poems, even though most of them are not as, <laughs> as hard to understand. And so, yeah, especially... I often choose actors who are brilliant at comedy mm. and they can just bring out all the laughs. Like so I think we should end on a poem, don't you? Yes. yes. Which poem are you going to read, Asani? Oh, she I might have prepared um, one, actually, rather I than bringing one on. She's prepared this one, one I thought would make us all feel better. Yes, okay, okay. good. And Go it's on. called Everything is Going to Be All Right by Derek Marne, who's an oh, don't, Irish I, writer. Oh, this one makes me cry. You, oh, yeah, sorry. Yes, I I, can no. I just say before you no. read it that, funnily enough, somebody gave me that there was a brilliant show at Hauser and Worth down in Somerset and in neon letters on the outside of the gallery was that everything is going oh. to be all right. Oh, gosh. And someone took a, took a photograph. They obviously can't afford the actual artwork. <laughs> millions of pounds. But my friend who lives there took a picture of it and oh. she had it framed for me and she gave it to me the other day and it's absolutely lovely. So. Oh, yeah, it's a good message. I think it's a really good example of how a poem can make you feel better. And if you want to look online, um, Andrew Scott, as in the sexy priest, reads this. I know. Well, that's what the one. That's what maybe. And you sent it to me during COVID. So good. Yes. Yeah, yes. So you sent good. it to me during COVID. This, and I literally. Yeah. Anyway, I'll be quiet. Everything is going to be all right. By Derek Marne. How should I not be glad to contemplate the clouds clearing beyond the dormer window, and a high tide reflected on the ceiling? There will be dying. There will be dying but there is no need to go into that. The poems flow from the hand unbidden and the hidden source is the watchful heart. The sun rises in spite of everything and the far cities are beautiful and bright. I lie here in a riot of sunlight, watching the day break and the clouds flying. Everything is going to be all right. There you go, and I'm crying. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Imogen's crying. Yeah. That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. That was Ali Aziri, and her book is A Poet for Every Day of the Year. And finally, we are joined by our resident beauty expert, Hannah Betts. And this week, Hannah, you have been talking about eyebrows. A nice lady told me that she listens to us while she um, while she walks her dog. Oh, Aww. that's good. That's, well, that's, no. that's performing that's a useful function. That's performing. I can't do. I can't listen to anything when I walk my dogs because they're so badly no. behaved. I basically. And have also, to spend... I'm in. I'm in love with my dog. No, so I'm. I'm like that's the highlight I, of my life. I actually almost. I. I mean, I almost called the pound this morning because I came down, and Snowy had, for reasons only best known to himself, pissed up against the sofa. Oh, disgusting! And I just honestly, I can't tell you how angry it made me. I was. I just. It, there's nothing worse. <laughs> No. Anyway, so he's in the doghouse, literally. <laughs> um, anyway, Hannah, hello, darling. Are we going to talk about eyebrows? I mean, I, my we eyebrows are. are shocking this morning. I was looking at them as I was coming into work thinking, eyebrows, eyebrows. I but yours are good. Uh, well, you're good, well, I've, though. I've, I've, How can eyebrows be shocking? Well, they're not. I haven't had them groomed for a long time. That's good. Keep them like that. Oh, it's okay. wild. Really? Wild. Well, they're very yes. thick. I mean, they are very, very thick. I mean, I don't have any hair on my head, and I think that's because all of the hair on my head has gone to live <laughs> on my eyebrows. <laughs> Like grated to You've got the full healing. I've got a full healing. Yeah. Um, so no, that's to, good. <laughs> talk to us I'm about brands. Uh, are we talking for real now? We're not. No, are we, we are. We, we, are, are, we, we are, are talking for real. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Pubis brows are what young people have. Um, so you don't say pubis. Why are you saying pubis what, what, all of a sudden? What does pubis brows mean? Why, why are you saying pubis? Don't well, say mine that. looked it's like late... that before I started doing anything really? with them. But now I need that because mine are two old lady sort of skimpy. You know, they've gone really wimpy and pathetic and 
I, I need more. Right. Um, I need some kind of graph. Apparently, my you daughter, can do that, my daughter, who knows about all the things, uh, says that you have to put castor oil on them. Oh. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Or there's some stuff, um, a bit less of a mess. There's some stuff called Revitalash, which really does seem to work. Mm, and there's right. a Revitalash brow. Yes. yes. My brother, my um, mother which uses that. Using. Who does she? Yes, my mother. Yes, I, she does. I had terrible problems with my eyebrows when I, my thyroid went south because what happens is they get shorter. Yes. Mm. Which is very disturbing. Mm. You get yeah, sort of... Trini has been talking about that. Oh, she's she? got an eyebrow thing at the moment. She's just launched an eyebrow product. Mm. And a lot of women have been talking about thyroid short lashes. Mm. So her new eyebrow stuff contains something. I've now forgotten what it is. Iodine. Sweet chestnut something Sweet or chestnut. something. Yes. Um, which will condition them and is supposed to help. And also, a lot of us, our hair just loses luster anyway. Mm. And if we've overplucked in the past, we mm. look up and we've got crescent moons. Yes, the one but thing you... you can't do is have them tattooed or microbladed. Oh no, because that's too... I think because... that looks really artificial. Unless you need it because you've got none whatsoever, mm. I suppose. But then. even then, the colour migrates. So I had mine done sort of 20 years ago. Mm. And for for the first six weeks, they're crazily dark, and you look, you know, like a scout's brow person. Mm. And then they start to go orange. So I had sort of joker brows for years, and oh. a nice man with a very expensive laser had to finally get rid of them. So I suppose I've been on what the Americans would call a brow journey. Um, <laughs> so I am now in favour of doing very little to one's brow. Oh. Hannah, do, do you think that seventies brow will ever come back? That sort of well, that totally you know, non with the, with the pencil. I mean, it's I think that's a very good question. It's so over, it's almost back. Yeah. Well, that's what I so, think. Mm. Yes. So Rihanna last year did a Vogue cover, and she had those crazy, crazy pencil brows. Mm. And so everyone said, oh, it's back, it's back. And then everyone said, no, no, you know, the, the, no. the industry is now 30 zillion strong and all this sort of stuff. But no, people, I think that's a sign of how edgily fashionable you are, that you even ask that. Because <laughs> um, it, apparently it is about to happen. Finally, I'm in. Cara I'm in. <laughs> so, no. Delevingne. Mm. Delevingne? 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 Delevingne. Delevingne, whatever she's called. She has yeah. got nice eyebrows. I like her eyebrows. Mm. They're crazy. Mm. And that's how eyebrows should be. Crazy, don't you think? Yeah. Like a couple and, of and caterpillars yes. having a dance. Mm. It's a bit like blow dries. I think hair should look like hair. Otherwise, mm. you look like a kind of strange yeah. anchor woman. And it yes. is really ageing. Yes. So when I wrote about this on Monday, I sort of said we worry about wrinkles and we worry about our asses dropping to our feet and this sort of thing. But actually, then we go and self-harm by creating really crazy eyebrows. Yeah. And that is hugely ageing. Yeah. Um, so I think it is one simple thing. There's this new product actually called Brow Freeze that came out this year and everyone went crazy and there were cues for it. And I've obviously finally caught up with it. <laughs> it's very good. It's by Anastasia, who was that woman who once flew all the way to London from America to tell me that I'd um, effed up my eyebrows. Imogen and I are um, both writing it down. writing it down. Writing yeah, Anastasia. well, Anastasia Brow Freeze. It really makes you look young because it gives you that feathered uplift. Oh, okay, done. Which is what all, all, the, all the kids are doing. 
Um, but if you, if like me, you're feeling like you haven't got very much, if you make it sort of erect, it suddenly looks like you've got more. Okay. Um, you know, I'm like a plumed bird well, these days. Um, well, <laughs> but it does actually look kind of lustrous and young. Very good. Well, I mean, we shall do that. Well, thank you, Hannah. That's that's very informative. <laughs> yes. I like to think I'm I, addressing the issues that yes, matter. Exactly. I mean, these are the important, important no. issues. Aren't they, though? Thanks, I Hannah. mean, honestly, we're all so bloody miserable, aren't mm. we? Like, Let's have erect brows. Yes. Let's have mm. erect something. Yes. Just a, a general erection a, would be good. <laughs> I, would, I would like. I am. I would like that kind of feeling of hard on somewhere. Stop it Thank now. You. That's enough now because we don't want the dog walking. Yet. We don't want. Have the I dog, been banned? We don't mm. want the dog walking ladies to be shocked. No. Um, so, uh, so that's enough saying erection. Um, Hannah, right. thank you very much. We All will right. speak to you next time. Thank you. That was very Hurrah. informative. Much um, love. <laughs> that was Hannah Betts, completely out of control as usual. Yes. Naughty Brilliant. girl. Naughty girl. You can visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. And if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us at mailplus, me at Westminster Wag or Imogen at Imogen EJ. You have been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and thank you.